and welcome to the first episode of Boob to Babble. We are going to start with a show that's actually been on for a while, but it's lots of things to talk about, and it is The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, my name is Joy. Hi, my name is Mindy, and I'm one of the older members of the Feminerd Files group, and uh, I'm a was a teacher librarian. Uh, I'm Lauren. Uh, I also am a librarian. Um, I uh, am probably one of the younger people in the group. Um, and I, I've read the book. Uh, I'm caught up on the TV show and I saw the 1990 movie. Blessed be the fruit. Let's get started. Blessed be the fruit. All right. So maybe we should start a little bit with the background of the book before we talk about the TV show. Okay. Um, well, The Handmaid's Tale is a book that has haunted me since I read it in 1985. I was about 25 years old, had just graduated from college, was living in a big city. I had big hair and big shoulder pads. I thought it was pretty cool that I had a job where I could be self-sufficient and take care of myself. The women's movement had made a big stir a few years before, and while I wasn't a part of that, I recognized the strides for women. The difference is... In, in 1985, you had to be kind of quiet about that. Um, I remember working and trying to look good and professional, but not too masculine. It was very important. I had a pink silk bow tie thing that I wore with my power suit so that I would not look too mannish. When I read The Handmaid's Tale, it had been a big deal. It was like a, a small wave. It was something that friends told me about before I ever read anything about it. And not long after, somebody told me, you really should read this book. It was starting to get, there was a lot of noise that we need to ban this book. So immediately I bought it, read it, and I was appalled. And part of the deal was reading it, I could see so much of my life, my upbringing, and the potential that this kind of dystopian future could happen. Yeah. <clears throat> so... So 1985, I was 12, <laughs> so I did not read this book. And um, when the movie came out in the 90s, like 1990, I was still in high school, so I also did not see that um, because I was brought up in Kansas, God-fearing town. So I really didn't have any um, background of this story. I, I knew the story, just, you know, people talk about the story, Uh Reference this story anytime bad things happen to women, like in Afghanistan. So I really didn't know how this went until this show came out last year. It is a haunting, recognizable story. I think that's what's scary about it. You see it all as a possibility of our reality in this country, and definitely reality in other countries. And this was after the most recent election that it came out, right? Yeah, uh, April of last year, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so the women's march had happened, and there was a lot of talk about women's health care, funds being cut for that, and of course, you know, abortion is a big part of the discussion. I would, I would say that this has, this show has enhanced the conversation mm -hmm. since January of 2017. I'm curious when this book came out, and I read it. I don't remember having any kind of a worldview. Um, I there was no internet. There was, you know, I'd read the newspaper and believe everything that was there, and um, I didn't have a big idea of what was happening around the world anywhere. I also had a skewed idea 
from public school as to what our own history was in this country. What I did see is that women had made some strides and there were still a lot of problems. It kind of set off my idea. It was the beginning of my learning about feminism. It was um, also the beginning of my learning to be an activist. So I am curious how somebody who you've come to this at this point in time in the last few years, how does that hit you? I mean, can you, can you talk about what that was just personally for you? Uh, so I read the book last June. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first time I had read it. Uh, it had been in my TBR pile, as librarians like to say, which is to be read pile for years. And I'd kind of just put it off. Um, and I read it uh, when I was on vacation, uh, right after I got my master's. Um, so I was in a weird frame of mind. I was saying earlier, I kind of feel like something was robbed of me because I read it, you know, six months into the Trump administration. So I had already seen like the protests with the, the red dresses and the bonnets and that kind of thing. Um, and I was, by the way, I was born in 1988. So I was born... Um, after The Handmaid's Tale was published. And so it's always been in the world that I've been in. Um, and it, I, so I grew up, I feel like I've, I can see like threads of Gilead in a lot of places. Um, and along with Handmaid's Tale, I read two other books um, and they were a part of my graduate program. And I read The Color Purple and I read Persepolis. Mm-hmm. And so these are all stories where, you know, women are not able to read or not able to act the way that they want to. Um, And I always had a really acute sense of things that could be taken away from me at any time. Um, I grew up in a suburb with a lot of religious people. uh, And I always kind of felt like they were like guerrilla fighters that were out to take my soul. Uh, (laughs) I had, there was a boy that I had a crush on and uh, we were doing calculus homework in my parents' dining room, and he was—he tried to get me to read the Bible by <laughs> saying uh, the book of Ecclesiastes was pretty cool. Um, so I always felt like that kind of takeover could happen, especially um, uh, like in the Bush years. There were like very defined ideas of like this performative patriotic fealty and that was when I was in high school so I kind of had a sense of myself but I was too young to vote and so I remember like as these kind of social issues were tangled up in like the religious dogma of the government like feeling just complete dread that you know people would come for me even though like I'm straight I'm white I'm not religious but that's really like the only thing that you know could really be taken away from me so you're not a gender traitor I am not a gender traitor <laughs> so this TV show starts with um, Offred if you've not seen it it's about Offred whose name stems from of Fred Fred is the commander and he is uh, basically slave owner I mean uh, so the handmaids are women who they call them women who are criminals and who are also able to have babies are turned into handmaids. I believe if you are a member of the Gilead upper crust and and not a a criminal in their eyes, you do not become a handmaid if you are fertile. Um, but they're she already was, married too. They're the wives. Oh yes, yes. Yeah, and they, they're married. Yeah, they are the, and she yeah. she is a criminal because she is an adulteress because. She was the second wife 
of her husband. And they got together when he was still married. And yes, yes. Um, but the so reason, oh, I'm sorry. And the reason was, they wanted her was because she already had had a child. Yes, she had had a child who has who she has been separated from. And um, <clears throat> so, Alfred, who we also learn her real name is June, um, which was not necessarily clear in the book. She's a voice of resistance. She is a handmaid, and she goes through these motions to survive, but she, uh, we get to hear her in inner dialogue for the show, and we get to uh, see how she uh, resists in her own way against this uh, nightmare of a, of a life that she lives. Margaret Atwood had said that uh, there were, I'm sorry, it was Elizabeth Moss I was reading who plays Alfred was having a conversation and I read it and they were talking about the whole thing about um, in the book, you don't know June's name until the end of the book, her lover, I guess at the time uh, says it as they're putting her into the truck. Basically she's getting taken away by the eye mm-hmm. and he says her name. And that's the only time in the book they say her name, which was pretty pointed you take away your name that you cannot have a sense of self. Mm-hmm. So they're going to take everything, including your name. Well, and she she guards her name very carefully in the book. Um, There was a passage that I just found. I'm rereading it now, and I'm about halfway through it. And she kind of almost doesn't want to deal with it. Um, So what's interesting in the book um, is we get this totally different Offred. There's a passage that I'm going to read here um, where Offred is just by herself. She spends a lot of time just kind of sitting around in her room in the book, um, and she says, my name isn't Offred. I have another name, which nobody uses now because it's forbidden. I tell myself it doesn't matter. Your name is like your telephone number, useful only to others. But what I tell myself is wrong. It does matter. I keep the knowledge of this name like something hidden, some treasure I'll come back to dig up one day. I think of this name as buried. This name has an aura around it like an amulet, some charm that survived from an unimaginably distant past. I lie in my single bed at night with my eyes closed and the name floats there before my eyes, not within reach, shining in the dark. Mm-hmm. Whereas at the, at the end of the first episode, she kind of has this moment where she's like, no, my name is June and I intend to survive. And in, mm-hmm. later in the second season, she even throws it in Aunt Lydia's face. She's like, I, if you address me as Offred, I'm not going to respond to you because my name <clears throat> is June. Yeah, in the second season, they've, they've really... Um uh, Offred and June are have sort of separated. Mm-hmm. She um, she she kept June hidden hidden more in the first season, and now she's made this sort of conscious effort to have these two different personas. That um, one is June, who is the strong and who is who is strong and who is free, and then there's Offred, who's surviving, doing what she has to do so to survive, and then the the. The, not this past episode, but the episode before it is when she has a complete disassociative breakdown mm-hmm. and just goes full on Offred. And she's just compliant mm-hmm. and pleasant and nothing's wrong and everything's cool um, until she finally connects with her own unborn baby at the end. And then she's like, you know, fuck this. And it's interesting <laughs> that as she's offered, she's like hemorrhaging. She, also, yes, she's she is well, completely she's dying as offered um, because she. I think she just at and at that point, I think she just finds that she can't live with this life anymore because she feels guilty about people who have died and suffered uh, 
because of the resistance and because of her escape. And, um, and uh, you know, Aunt Lydia is just torturing her with that and is, and is blaming June. This, June did this to you. Um, Offred would never commit these sins. And uh, so she, she goes full Offred and, you know, and almost dies. And then she realizes that you know, June is going to save her, not Offred. That is what I noticed that I thought was just spot on and horrible because when you have when you're having some kind of a revolution like that, when you're in the midst of battling, you have to have a strong se- sense of self. And one of the ways that they're chipping away at her was, of course, her name, the loss of her name. And then Aunt Lydia is, was telling just mental torture what's the name brainwashing it felt as i was watching it it was like brainwashing because june is already having a breakdown of all that has happened feeling guilty all of that stuff and then aunt lydia just kept saying you know june is the evil one who did this it was june offred has a chance offred can save her baby etc and it made me think of all the different ways people are tortured around the world. And again, takes me back to in my own life that um, most of my friends out of college became Mrs. Somebody and they lost their names. They lost, it's an interesting thing. Uh, that is sort of a loss that we, loss of identity that we support and we go celebrate. And it's yet again, one of those little patriarchal things that we have seen down through history. And if you go back to my grandmother's time, as I tell my friends here, who, and we laugh about it, my grandmother would never say her first name. She always said, I am Mrs. Kirk Clary, and nice to meet you. You may call me Thelma, but that was she, her biggest thing. Yes, I agree. It is disgusting. However, that was, and it was a thing. She did not have an identity of herself that was any, that was beyond that of being her husband's wife. And they use that in the show, too. It's always, yes, Mrs. Waterford. Yes. It's not even, yes, ma'am. So it's, it's true. I am of your husband, and you are, but you are the legitimate relation mm-hmm. to him. Mm-hmm. And it also, it serves a practical purpose, like the rotating Ofglens. I mean, we've lost another Ofglen yeah. yes. at the end of this recent episode. Yes. Yeah, there's going to be a new one next week. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Or this week. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you also see how the women, sorry, you also see how it's not just the handmaids that are being tortured. It's not just the handmaids that are living a life they don't want to live. It's um, as they're showing more of the wives, they're severely restricted. Um, They are expected to have a maternal instinct um, about their babies that the handmaids have had. They have so much pent up anger. Um, They're not allowed to read. They're not allowed to do anything. They're not allowed to do. They can't have jobs. They can't know. And they can't be, Whereas in their same generation, they had had, many of these women had had, um, you know, success or achievement in, on their own that they could be proud of. And all of this is taken away. And part of that is they're removing their name. So Moira is an interesting character. Yes. Um, she's our, is she a lesbian in the book? Yes. Well, yes. is she? Okay. She yeah. Because, well, Gender the first off Quinn is a lesbian. Moira is a lesbian. Mm-hmm. Look at all that representation. Mm-hmm. 
podcast yes, from being the same show. In the two, they're in both the, tortured the hideously. I know. Uh, but Moira, um, she's kind of this, um, we see her journey go a little faster where she is the fighter and escapes and then comes back and then she is um, becomes a Jezebel and then sort of loses her loses her light and 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 feels like she like fighting is no longer worth it and that she's just gonna she's just gonna she's she's reserved and she's 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 just ready this is this is who she's gonna be until uh june confronts her and she's like no you're gonna fight and we're gonna do this and we're gonna we're gonna get out of this together and you know Mm -hmm. Uh, we're going to keep this promise to each other to, to be true to to ourselves and to each other. And then, and then Moira breaks free and she actually makes it out. I don't know if that, does that happen in the book? But I, I cried so hard. I can't remember. I I know she runs into her at Jezebel's and that's Moira's (laughs) made the choice. as far as I remember is that, yeah, Moira got to make that choice. She was young and beautiful. And what was funny in the book that they didn't really show on the show was that Moira is dressed like a handmaiden. Oh. <laughs> with a little short skirt and stuff as a Jezebel. And um, off, uh, June, you know, is surprised at that. And she said, oh, yeah, the number one that they all want because they all want to come and have sex with their handmaiden where it's not with the wife there and all that. That's the number one costume to wear. I know. It's so gross. So gross you just want to take a shower. <laughs> well, and it's funny because in the show, Moira is kind of like, this was my choice, but her, her alternative was go to the colonies, mm-hmm. um, which never appear in the book. So it's really interesting mm-hmm. that the second season is kind of showing us yeah, the what colonies. kind of goes on there. Which, um, I'm, I am loving the colony stuff, the scenes mm-hmm. in the colonies, because um, it's almost, there's, it's sort of like a concentration camp Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. It's a work camp, and these women have a different. They they actually get to bond with each other. They get mm-hmm. to they get to talk. Of course, there's restrictions, um, and they're slaves still, but uh, they get to have they get to have more community in this mm-hmm. in the colonies because they're not living for very long. Yeah, <laughs> and they're always together. They're like always, in, yeah. The handmade life is very solitary, um, which is one thing that makes the book kind of really tough I, I think not mm-hmm. tough but like you're so much in Offred's head mm-hmm. and there's she just totally yes. lacks community mm. and it's really hard like I guess they watch the news like I'd forgotten there like there's TV news that they watch and they're of course Offred's wondering if it, if what they're being shown is true and I'm like haha thank Ooh, fake, fake news fake news, fake news. yeah mm-hmm. um, but they do get some kind of semblance of what's happening outside but there's everything's kind of through whispers and one day your shopping partner escapes or not escapes or escapes or is executed or doesn't yeah. yeah doesn't show up for shopping and you don't know where they are or who they were even so one thing that um bothers me about this uh Gilead is the the lack of white supremacy that I expect in this kind of a society um for me the 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 oppression of women and the oppression of of gay people and the um, extreme misogyny and religious overtones and uh, generally go hand in hand with white supremacy, at least in this country. Um, So because this is supposed to be formerly the United States, I expected to see more of that. And we do see that in the movie and it is in the book. So I'm disappointed actually that they're, they're not touching on that um, 
especially with the current events. They're missing, I think they're missing an opportunity there. Uh, it is more inclusive because we have more black actors in the show um, and characters who are beloved. Um, but I think they missed an opportunity mm-hmm. for this conversation. Maybe just they just thought it's just too much to do all these different things that are awful that happen at the same time. Well, I feel like they kind of just want to like want it to like squeak by because the like there are no like black wives either like the ruling class is all white um the people who i we Mm -hmm. don't really get a clear we haven't gotten a clear story yet but i think from what i understand uh congress was attacked so all three Mm -hmm. government branches were attacked like congress Mm -hmm. and the white house and the supreme court i think were all kind of blown up in some kind of terrorist action Mm and this uh religious zealot group the sons of jacob took over and established gilead and in Mm -hmm. that I'm kind of wondering, like they keep talking about in the flashbacks about birth rates declining. And Mm -hmm. I'm kind of, I kind of wish somebody would just say like, well, like any kicking baby is a good baby or something. Yeah. I mean, June's baby is, is biracial Mm -hmm. and is placed in a family. Mm -hmm. And Moira was a handmaid. And Moira is white in the movie. Elizabeth McGovern. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So they missed an opportunity uh, because, I mean, we're reading, this is, this is current events. This is what we're seeing. We're seeing this, this blatant racism and, and sexism that sort of go hand in hand. The abuse of power and authority that's happening now is very parallel. Yeah. It's always mm-hmm. predicated on creating a hierarchy. And a mm-hmm. better society. Better mm-hmm. society. A little bit wider society. As the commander exactly. says, though, better is not better for everyone. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Uh, I do like in the show how they uh, showed a, a few episodes in what June's life was like. We got a really good clear picture of how how this happened. I do remember reading the book, and ma- and I can't remember if they talk about how it happened as much. I just remember being horrified by the whole thing. But I really enjoyed that they they did that because, again, it's terrifying when we have such low voter turnout in our country and then we end up with all of these policy changes and um, crazy, crazy stuff that people are trying to pass laws that take away rights we already have, rights that we have fought for. Yeah, no no terrorist is blowing anything up. No they're just, terrorist. They're just subtly going, oh, well... Um. This is, yeah, so this is how it starts, is that kind of stuff. Mm. It starts with the fascism of um, fake news and making people question everything, whatever. And then the feeling of so many of us like, oh, but that's okay, we'll be okay. And the women, I have a really good job until the day they're fired. And then their bank accounts are frozen. And the interesting thing in the show that I thought was very telling is that June has a lovely husband. He is a modern man. He is supportive. He's co-parenting, um, you know, really well. All of this stuff. He is that guy that you want her to have. And his he made one comment. So when the, the two women found out that their bank accounts had been frozen and you had to have a husband or a family member access that money for you, um, his comment was you know I'll never let anything happen to you guys. You know I'll take... It's something along that line. Yeah, you know, I'll I will, take, I will you know, protect I'll take you. care of that for you guys. You know, as opposed to being outraged that that occurred. And it's part of that... 
being so passive that this is crazy. This isn't going to last. Somebody will do something. Well, well and, and also yeah. just... <clears throat> and his... The, uh, you know, the view that, don't you worry, I'll just take care of you because I'm a man and I still have all the rights. Right, mm-hmm. that's so You don't have it. to worry. You I'll share some worry. of mine. I'll, that's, t- well, I'll yeah. make sure that you're happy. You don't have to worry. And you how easily then... You don't have to make yourself happy. Yeah, so how easily this modern man um, that I really like is sucked into that level still that part, he's saying still a little bit part of the problem part of it. a little bit and and they yeah and they don't run until it's seriously dangerous so the second season they they do they do even more um flashbacks to mm-hmm. some of the protests and one yeah. thing that they talk about which I don't know is in the book is that June's mother is a doctor she's a she's a she's kind of a hippie possibly a lesbian or lesbian adjacent, and she's um, an abortion doctor. Oh, that's oh. right. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's what yeah. I got. Did you get that? I, don't I got remember that. Yeah. In the yeah. show. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. She, so she was, and um, I don't know that actor's name, but she's wonderful. What? So wonderful. And and there was this whole the whole episode about the relationship with her mother. It's right before she gets caught. Mm-hmm. She's she's talking. She's dealing with the relationship with her mother and her and the relationship as a mother with her daughter that she is leaving behind. Mm -hmm. And um, the thing that she talks about is that her mother saw this coming Mm -hmm. and took it very, very seriously. And June, you know, just was like, whatever, mom, you're just, you're crazy and your friends are kind of crazy. And I just, I just want this conventional life. I want to just live my life and be happy and kind of just put the blinders on about what's Mm -hmm. happening. Um, But she says, you know, mom, you, you knew and then, of course, they killed her. And so mm-hmm. she, this episode, she she spent some time sort of mourning that mm-hmm. um, missed opportunity to 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 let her mom know that uh, she loved her and she misses misses her and she wishes mm-hmm. that she had listened mm-hmm. um, more intent, intently. Sometimes I I have felt in the, in the last year in particular. I guess I relate to the mom in so many ways that, I mean, my era, once I became a feminist and then I came out and in, again, in the environment that, I mean, not only didn't I not tell anybody I was reading The Handmaid's Tale when I was going to work, I used to always read on the bus, you know, I did not take that book with me on the bus because there was so much commentary about it and I didn't want to be labeled a troublemaker because that's what I was taught. You don't get labeled that a feminist is was not a good thing. A feminist was, I heard it all growing up, a feminist is a ball breaker who can't get along with men or a feminist is um, a lesbian, but they would use all of the other horrible words about that. Well, basically. that's how word. even the cast of this show has done that. Yeah, they said, this is not a feminist show. What? Yeah, <laughs> it's a human show. Yeah, um, and one okay. thing that's so, so there's one moment, if I like, like the hill that I will die on happens in episode two of The Handmaid's Tale and they are walking by, I don't know if the church has already been torn down, but uh, Emily slash Ovglen says to uh, June slash Offred, um, oh, they're taking this church down. And June says, this was my father's parish. My daughter was baptized there, which I thought was so weird because in the book, I don't think the mother is a doctor, but she's like a feminist activist. Mm-hmm. And yes. when she shows up uh, in the slideshow at the Red Center, that actually does happen in the book. So her mother in the book was declared an unwoman, and which were the feminists, and her mother was sent to the colonies. Mm-hmm. Oh, so maybe I just interpreted that my own mm-hmm. way that she was an OBGYN and was... 
I need to, I definitely no. need didn't watch that one a second time, but it, it happens in, in the book her mother was like a very like very second wave feminist. So she, they were part like she took little baby June to like anti porn yep. demonstrations. Um and they also uh, they talk about her mother was like, I don't need, I didn't need you to have a father. So her mother was like mm-hmm. an aggressively, she was like a later <clears throat> age. Gloria's she was a dynam. Yeah. She was a 37 mm-hmm. year old single mother. And she was like, all my friends are making fun of me for calling me a pronatalist mm-hmm. and all this nice. stuff. Yeah. So I thought it was really weird that the film or that the, the movie also kind of departed. Like they took June out of that environment at the same time that they were, you know, kind of talking about how it's a, it's not a feminist show. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, and talking about feminism, there's a couple different kinds of feminism. I mean, do we consider Serena Joy a feminist? I think that's something to explore because she is part of the movement. She's a very powerful part of the movement. She has a big, powerful voice. Uh, she's a person of authority. She's clearly very smart. Um, but she's basically oppressing herself and others. Um, but that's her choice to do so. So is she also a feminist? So I grew up in the era of third wave feminism, where it's kind of you do you feminism, even though people are afraid of using that word still, like even people that I think are supposed to be of my generation, like Taylor Swift. Um, What's wrong with them? I and, like Taylor I'm sorry. Swift. I just, I, no, I, I don't. I, I really, I truly, I don't get that of that feminism is such a scary thing uh you know why is that word so horrible now and the thing that so even if serena joy is doing her own thing and has this like possibly ivanka trump-esque empire Mm -hmm. of capitalizing on her worldview and i think Mm -hmm. she's more like ivanka trump than ann coulter even though she's more intellectual but because she seems like kind of a brand um Mm. and her she i mean her rhetoric didn't steam as hateful um, yeah. But we didn't get to hear what she had to say that that much. Um, but I think that one thing that is important to think about is, is her work keeping down other women? And she's advocating for a society and then kind of uh, is complicit in constructing a society that restricts the freedom of women all the time. And we even saw that before. Mm-hmm. Like June was kind of mom shamed yes. uh, for mm-hmm. choosing her career over yeah. her daughter when it was at a point where you know, a a cold could kill somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that yeah. So that's okay. So right. I'm 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 not enjoy things. So she's a feminist, and yet I think she's you do you, but she is fighting against women. Yeah, she's like I'm yeah. doing you too. Um, so you, <laughs> like, I, me do me and screw you, and you do me. You my do way me, is the way. Exactly, my way or the. Colony Highway. I'll tell, I'll tell you how to do you, and you must. I really am enjoying Serena Joy's story. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's terrifying and very sympathetic, and and I'm loving it. And I I'm excited to see where it goes. I I hope that there's some redemption for her because uh, mm-hmm. I'm really pulling for her because uh, I think she's a really interesting character and a strong character, and I really just don't want her to end up alone and or. I don't know. I, I want her to, to find happiness that she really, really wants. She's she's at the, the college and she's talking about, uh, you know, trying to change the country. And, you know, they're sort of heavy environmentalist almost. Uh, this Gilead is, is, you know, pretty, pretty hardcore about going back to uh, 
a simpler life that is better for the earth. Can't really argue with some of that, you know. Exactly. It's that's all good stuff, uh, but it's also extremism where they go. And um, is that a feminist thing? The extreme groups are always giving you something that is palatable to. And if you followed, for instance, I'll I'll say his name again, Trump. If you followed that whole thing of the whole campaign, how interesting it was that he gave the palatable thing and the wanted thing to every different group he went to, no matter what it was. No matter what he knew about it. (laughs) Somehow, this is what terrified me about him being elected, was that I had read this book when it came out. It has haunted me since. I have fought against all of these things. I've been like June's mother, and I've been volunteered at Planned Parenthood to be part of the barricade so women can go get the health care that they need, whatever that is. Then we go through this in our country, and there was so much lying, so much craziness, but people are so desperate just to hear what they want to hear. And then the rest of us, I don't know, where was everybody voting? I don't know. So it's a big question, and it's also a thing of how fast this can happen. Yeah, how Mark, fast how fast can this happen, it, exactly. really? I mean, it could. Afghanistan. Well, yes. Yeah, yeah. The, exactly. The thing that that's the show and the book, one way that they're united in a way that I find the most haunting is that anything can become normal, which yes. is like my core belief, my explanation mm-hmm. for anything is Stockholm Syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I really see, and it happens in the mm-hmm. show, and the reason it's able to go quickly in part is because women have their ability taken to read. So at some point in the book, like they're taking all these Bible quotes out of context. At one point, they slip in uh, each according to his ability to each mm-hmm. according to his need, which is Mark's. And they're mm-hmm. they're like shoving it off as a Bible quote. And there's even a part where Offred says, but who could even check it? Mm-hmm. So when fact checking has been removed, mm-hmm. so when Snopes goes down, like we're right. all just <laughs> done for. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. So, listen to each other. And join some communities. Exactly. Go to listen the to each other of each other. Fact checkers. I've fact actually seen. Check. I've had a couple of friends who I you know treasure and have similar thinking with share, you know, internet memes about. One was uh, that American baseball teams took a knee against lynching for the national mm-hmm. anthem. That's yes. a hoax. I snopsed that. Mm-hmm. I also snopsed uh, Tim Tebow wouldn't was kneeling for the national anthem because the country still has abortion legalized. That's also just a lie. Mm-hmm. So it is. It's the palatable. It's the palatable thing. It's intoxicating. Right. We believe it because yes. we want to believe it. Exactly. Yeah. We, we tell ourselves stories in order to live, as Joan Didion. And we all and do again, it. We all do it for our own reasons. So. And again, that's nothing new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It truly is nothing new. And one thing that Margaret Atwood said uh, that I think we said earlier is that everything she wrote in the novel has happened. It may not have happened in this country, although a lot of it has. Um, but it has happened some at some point and somewhere in the world. And the people who were involved in that, oh my God, the world, world seemed to change overnight. And again, all you do is try and survive then and keep your family safe. And if you're going in that mode, you know, it's, it's the bad stuff. I can't quote Latin, but... Uh, she also said, remember, don't let the bastards get you down. Don't let the bastards get you down. Which is funny because it's not even real Latin. Like they've taken oh, on really? the mantle. No, it's fake <laughs> Latin. They've taken on the mantle of, you know, their rallying cry is actually nonsense. But it means something <laughs> because they imbue right. it with meaning. Right. 
Interesting. And I guess by rallying cry, it's really just her one woman rallying cry. More to come. You know, we're going to talk a little bit more about it when the show is over, just to sort of wrap it up and wrap up some thoughts. Because I I don't believe this is going a third season. I. It is. It's been renewed already. <gasps> it's it really? going another season, okay. you guys. Well, yes. something to remember as well. So as far as the show goes, my commentary on that, I mean, it's beautiful. It's vivid. It brings the really important things to life. And I have a freaky imagination. And they are doing stuff visually that did not even occur to me in this incredibly haunting book. I'm yeah. a little disturbed they're going to do another season because I, I just, I don't know. I want to I hang with it because I think it's important stuff. But wow, I don't know if my heart can take it. I don't want it to lose its punch. I, I don't. Honest. Yeah. And one of the best things of the book, that, which is why I've remembered it for so many years, just has to do with you're kind of left with a cliffhanger and that's it. And yep. it's exactly and long enough. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes. We're going to talk about this again after the end of the season two. And um, thanks for listening to us, our babble, our boob tube babble about The Handmaid's Tale. And the Tower of Babylon. The Tower of Babylon, Gilead. And um, under his eye, we will see you.